know how dogs are? You scrub them, you bathe them, you powder them, you dry them, and the next minute they walk into a pile of mud. That was the same attitude I had before I met Christ. I was always anxious. I was rebellious. I was restless. I felt lost and I felt very insecure. I was always in this state of mind where I went back to the same thing over and over again. After Christ met me, I found a sense of direction and purpose and guidance. Uh, I felt very secure in his love. I could cast all my burdens and learn to rest on him. And every day has been filled with joy and peace. All right. So we've been showing these videos of just folks uh, sharing their story about how their lives have been changed for good uh, because they've met Jesus. And I want to welcome you here. I'm excited about this series. I'm excited about the work that God's doing as we go through this series. My name is Mike, one of the pastors on the team. I, I just want to tell you something right before we get started, right? We're going to jump in. We're going to cover all kinds of awesome, awesome truths today. But here's what I need you to know more than anything else. You need to understand that you are loved completely right now. Right now, that there, you are absolutely loved. And I want to tell you that I love you. Over like, I love you. I think you're the greatest church ever. I can't believe how stoked I am to be able to be on the journey with you. It's just, I have such great love and affection for you. But I want you to also know that my love pales in comparison to the love that God has for you. You don't have to do anything to earn his love. You can't, you can't have any, like, like, there's no way we can even understand how rich and how full and how lavish his love is for us right now without us doing anything to earn it. So please just sit in that for a moment, okay? We're going to talk about how we are changed for good because of his love. When we open our hearts and accept his love, then our lives do begin to change and we are transformed and there are all kinds of areas in our lives where we're disappointed with or where we feel like they're off track or they're not producing or spiritually we're not where we wish we were and all that stuff. Yeah, God's love transforms us. I just want to begin by saying um, you don't have to reach a certain level before you get God's love. His love for you is right now, and it is everlasting, and it's absolutely secure, okay? So when we talk about being changed for good, we're talking about how his love does change us for good. We're not talking about being changed so that he can love us. We're talking about our change as a response to the love that he pours out for us, okay? And we talked about how Jesus is the one who makes that happen because on the cross, what Jesus did is he forgave us of all of our sins. And there's a transformative power in forgiveness. And then we talked about the empty tomb, how Jesus, when he rose again from the dead, he provides the power that we need so that we can live the transformed life that he created us for and that he calls us to. So all of this, it's all wrapped up in the person of Jesus, right? And so we want to continue as we talk about transforming grace, the transforming power of love. We're always pointing back to Jesus himself. All right. That, so that's just review for you. If you're if you're joining us, there was the Cliff Notes version for like a couple of weeks. But what I want to do right now is I want to talk about um, motivation because the uh, the message today is called more than motivation. We're changed for good, and it's more than motivation. It's deeper than more motivation. It's more powerful than just motivation. Because when you think about motivation, there are really only two types of motivation. There's external motivation and internal motivation. 
Now, think for a second about external motivation. It's That's when somebody or something or some tool outside of you uh, helps you, provides the structure for you or the program for you so that you can be motivated to change, right? So you can picture the coaches on the TV show Biggest Loser, right? And how they're yelling at someone, you know, hey, dude, you could do it. It's like encouragement slash shame, right? And they're just, they're just pouring it out and they're providing the diet and they're providing the workout and they're providing the, the shouting. And all of that is external to the person so that transformation can happen. Does that make sense? Uh, external motivation can be anything. It could be a coach, it could be a person, it could be a structure, uh, it could be some kind of an e- external uh, discipline that you apply to yourself. Right about now, many of you have thought, you know, I'm going to reach in my handout and pull out my message notes, uh, but they're not there. Some of you are having a spiritual crisis right now. Like, oh my, what do we do? They're not here, huh? So some of you, you never use the notes. You're like, oh, one less thing to recycle. But here's the deal. I want you to understand that the message notes that we typically provide, they're a perfect example of what an external motivating tool looks like. It's outside, right? The tool itself is just something that we're giving you so that it helps you pay attention to what God is trying to communicate to your heart. That's the whole reason why we put it in there in the first place. But what happens, right, this is the, the downside of external motivation, we begin to rely on it. And then we begin to depend on it, and then we become kind of lazy without it. So some of you, you're really, really wrestling. You're like, do I even listen anymore to the message, right? Maybe it's time to pull out Angry Birds, right? You know, like you're ready to just throw the whole thing because you don't have the tool. See, that's the downside of an external motivation. Once the coach is gone... Once the structure is gone, I, I've known guys in the military. When they're in the military, they are in the finest fighting shape ever. But when they get out of the military, suddenly the whole thing goes to pot. Why? Because they don't have the external structure. Does that make sense? So, so here's the deal. External structure is good. External motivation, it's fine. It has its limitations. Because when it's removed, where are we? Have we become lazy and soft? Have we become dependent on something that was never designed for us to depend on, only designed to help us? Does that make sense? So that's external motivation. The other kind is internal motivation. And internal motivation is, um, we, we refer to it as self-discipline or willpower. And some of us are incredibly good at that. Not me, some of you are incredibly good at internal motivation. And so when we start talking about this, you're like, yes, oh, I love this. You're like, all I need is a checklist. All I need, you you let me go. I will create a system of habits that I embrace. You're like Ben Franklin comes up with the, here are the character qualities I want. Here's what I'm going to do. You mark them off every day. Oh, I'm a perfect human. You know, like you're ready to go. Now, internal motivation, there's some good things about that as well, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that next week, but there are also some, some downsides to internal motivation. And here's, here's what you need to know. If we're not careful, being so self-disciplined, being, being so relying on our own willpower and internal strength can often lead us to either burnout or legalism. Both those things are, are tough. So again, we're going to process that a little bit next week. So, so you got external motivation, internal motivation. Now, both are 
they're also both a part of our faith. So you have to realize external motivations, why we come to church in the first place, why we get in a life group. It's why we have an accountability partner that we meet with and pray with, the, the encouragement that happens with friendships that are spiritually focused. That's all external motivation, and it's all good. Uh, there are downsides and limitations, but we, we like these, and in general, we embrace them. The second thing is internal motivation. Of course there's going to be a measure of internal motivation that we all must embrace. Uh, That that we have a steadfastness of mind, that that we we commit ourselves generally to a course of our faith, and we're going to continue with it. And there's some disciplines that we'll personally build into our lives. So that's a reality as well. The reason why the message is called more than motivation is quite simply this, because the transformation that we're talking about is deeper than merely external or internal motivation. I'm not saying that good things can't happen just from those things. They can. But what I'm talking about, when I'm talking about the transformation that God wants to work in each one of our lives, the kind of, of eternal way that we are changed for good, I'm talking about something that is deeper at a more core, fundamental identity level. And so we look at these words from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says this. So all of us have had that veil removed. All of us who have had that veil removed. And what he's talking about right there is um, when we say yes to Jesus, when we placed our trust in Jesus, now we are able to be present with him. Now we are able to be intimate with him. So let's continue. All of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. We're changed into his glorious image. Okay? So the veil is removed through our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. In other words, there's no longer a barrier between us and God. And that happens by faith. So let me just pause for a moment and say, if you're here and you've never experienced the reality of Christ in your life, you've never said yes to a relationship with Him, then literally it's as easy as, like right now, where you're sitting, quietly in your heart, you say, Jesus, I'd like to meet you today. I'd, I'd love it if that, if, cause I think there's a veil. I think there's something between us and I can't see you clearly and I don't know your reality. So would you, would you take that veil away? Would you meet me today? I, I, and if you, if you say that humbly and sincerely, if you're, if you're praying that honestly, see, m- my fervent belief and conviction is that we are talking about a living God, Jesus Christ. We're talking about a risen Savior. And when you offer a prayer like that humbly and sincerely, Christ himself loves to meet you and care for you and carry you forward. So anyway, I just, I just want to pause and say, if that's where you are, please take this opportunity and invite him to remove that veil. But for those of you who have already trusted him, you know that what the rest of that verse says is absolutely true. That we now see... Jesus more clearly and that we're able to reflect his glory more and the work of our transformation some of your translations by the way say we are transformed from glory to glory almost like this ever increasing kind of a thing this upward spiral as it were the more we see him and the more we reflect his glory the more we are made glorious in his image and and the work of all of that is done by the spirit of God 
Okay, that's who does it. You see that. It says, we are changed into his glorious image. How is this possible? It's the Spirit who makes us more and more like him. Okay, so it's the Spirit of God, God's Holy Spirit, that changes us, making us more like Jesus Christ, making us whole and making us holy. And the Bible refers to that process as sanctification, simply that we are made whole and that we are made holy, that we are being transformed into the image of Jesus. Now, here's a verse I found from John Bunyan. It's an ancient verse, and it, and it talks about the difference between mere motivation and discipline, referred to as the law, and the power of the good news. This is, we're talking about Jesus himself transforming us. And this is what John Bunyan writes. He says, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. And that's what I'm talking about, that deep transformation that the Lord is working in each and every one of us who has said yes to a relationship of love with Him. But what we've talked about is He's the one who does the primary work. He's the one who does the heavy lifting in terms of our transformation. But there are ways in which we cooperate with His work in our lives. And so these are the points. I got, I got three things that I want to tell you this morning. I don't know what you're going to do. Write them on your hand. Turn to your, you know, your spouse. Write them on her forehead. Like, I, I don't know how that works. But I want you to think about these truths. I want you to, to wrestle with these truths. Because these are, are, are ways in which we cooperate with God's work inside of us. And the first one, very simply, is we pursue intimacy with Jesus. We pursue intimacy with our Lord. The one who gave himself for us, the one who rose again from the dead for us, the one who forgives us of all of our sins, provides absolute, unending, unconditional grace for us again and again and again. It's, it's, it's Jesus that we want to be intimate with. And I say this because you need to understand that God designed us, he made us to be intimate with him. Okay, We were made in love. And we were saved by love so that we could be in relationship with God who is love. And that's the reality of our lives. That's the deepest, most true thing about us that we are designed to be in intimacy with Jesus. And so the more we cooperate with his work, the more we're going to pursue intimacy with Christ. Now, I want to tell you that in my own life, as I kind of observe how this works in my own life, I just want you to understand that there are all kinds of auxiliary benefits that come from me being intimate with Christ. That, um, that I feel more at peace in terms of how I operate through my day. That in my conversations, I'm much more present and clear-minded. Just where I am, I'm, I'm, I'm in the moment when I'm walking in intimacy with Jesus. I see the benefits in my marriage. I see that my wife appreciates the fact that I'm much more grounded and that I'm, that I'm actually mindfully aware of where we are together as husband and wife. My kids, I see them benefit. 
that they get a greater sense of security. They get a greater sense of, of um, understanding that there is a, there's a strength of love around our family when I'm walking in intimacy with Jesus. So there's all kinds of auxiliary benefits that come from really pursuing intimacy with Christ. And I want to say I'm not always walking in that intimacy with Christ. I wish I was. I'm not. That's part of my continual repentance and coming back, confession, and pursuing Him again. But I just want you to understand that when I am in intimacy, there are all these kind of benefits. However, I want to be really, really clear. I'm not encouraging you to pursue intimacy so all of these benefits will happen in your life. They will happen. It'll be a byproduct. But I just want you to pursue intimacy with Christ for this reason. It's why you were made. You were made for this. This this is the deepest, corest, truest reality of of who we are as humans, that we were made to be in intimacy with Christ. And every time we pursue any other thing that doesn't lead us into intimacy with Christ, we're the ones who end up frustrated and disappointed and depressed. I found this great quote by C.S. Lewis, and he says this. He says, God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it will not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself, Because it is not there. Friends, that's why if all you pursue in your life is happiness, you will end up unhappy profoundly. But if what you pursue in life is intimacy with Jesus, what you will end up with is an incredible sense of joy and all kinds of peace. And you will find that as the human machine functioning with greater efficiency and greater love and greater joy because you are receiving intimacy through the grace of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to pursue intimacy and I do have a few thoughts about how you can do that. Okay, There are a few things that you can do. If you decide today, you know what, I'm going to pursue intimacy with Christ, there's a couple of things that you, you need to realize. The first is that it starts with believing in Christ. It starts with placing your trust in Him and your faith in Him. So again, for those of you who haven't or those of you who are thinking about it, I want to encourage you to start there that you would make a proclamation to the Lord and to a loved one. Hey, I believe in you, Jesus, and I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. I want to experience intimacy. Okay, You, you make that a declaration. And um, we see this in Scripture. Peter says this in John chapter 6, verse 69. He says, We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ The son of the living God. He's speaking to Jesus himself. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's a great place to start with belief. And so you make that proclamation to the Lord. Lord, I believe in you. You are who you said that you you are. That that you are God in the flesh. That you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And I, I believe in you. And then the second part of this process is you you recognize that your heart is wired for intimacy and that that's what it wants more than anything else. So you declare that as well to Jesus. You say, Jesus, I, I declare that I want intimacy with you. 
Now, I know I pursue pleasure. I know I pursue, uh, you know, entertainment. I know I pursue boredom sometimes. And, you know, I, I'm all over the place in terms of career and relationships. Or what, but what I really want, what, what, is, what is the deepest desire of my heart is to be intimate with you. And so you just make that a declaration in your prayer life daily. You just you start with that. Jesus, I want to be intimate with you. And you just make that proclamation again and again and again. And as you do, you'll see his transforming power work within you. You know what David said? This is in Psalm 51. He says, Lord, you desire honesty in my inward parts. Think about that. Deep within me, you want to know me honestly. And so that's what we're asking God. God, we want to be known deep within us. We want to know you deeply. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. That's what we want as well. And so we make this a continual part of our prayer proclamation. I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know you intimately. I want to know the power that raised you from the dead so that I can live a victorious life as well. And so what that means is when you face trial, you pray for intimacy with Jesus. Jesus, I want to know you right here. I want to know your power right here in the midst of this trial. When you face temptation, you pray for intimacy right there in the midst, in the moment of your temptation. Pray for intimacy with Christ. Jesus, I know the more that I know you, the more intimate I walk with you, the less this temptation looks tempting. And so I ask that you would let me be intimate with you right here in this moment. When you face circumstances that are utterly disappointing in your life, you say, Jesus, right here in the midst of my disappointment, I want to know you intimately. And I want to know your power to proceed here. Can I meet you right here? And every time you're pursuing intimacy, what you're really doing is you're proclaiming your dependence upon him. I depend on you, Jesus. I long for you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus, in this moment. God, I can't do it without you. I I need your power. I need your presence. I need your comfort. I need your strength. Okay. The third thing that I wanted to encourage you to do if you're pursuing intimacy is remember that worship is the gateway to intimacy. So the more that you proclaim the greatness of God, the more you proclaim your adoration and devotion to Him, the more intimate you will see. As you praise God and worship God, your heart will be drawn intimately into His. He draws near to you when you draw near to Him. So intimacy comes through worship as a gateway. So I just want to encourage you in this. See, I don't, I don't know you and what your weekly plan looks like, how you just go about your day, but I would encourage you to make worship just a part of it. You're driving to work, put in like an incredible worship album and just sing at the top of your lungs and have people in the lane next to you look at you strange and the whole bit. And, you know, we just came out with an album called Worship First, right? That's John and Pastor John and the worship team. And it's a really, really awesome album. But I only bring it up because I want to tell you it's a great tool for your gateway to intimacy with God. So that you would, you would pop it in, you would praise Him. Uh, for some of you, you, um, you get in your prayer closet. It's just a place in, you know, in your life where nobody can disturb you. And you just begin to sort of uh, proclaim the greatness of God. 
And just to tell him how awesome he is and how good he is. And you might, you might sing a little song as you do it. You might make up your own words and, and make up your own tune. And, uh, and you do this alone, obviously, because you don't want people going, what is that dead cat dying? You know, like, like that, that sounds like torture. It, no, no, you, it's just you, right? And, and so you just be by yourself. Some of you, what you do is you, you grab a guitar and you go find a little mountain trail and it's by a stream and you start strumming and of course there's rain, there's always rain and, and you, just, you just praise God right in the midst of that idyllic nature scene. But I, I just want to encourage you, whatever it looks like for you, okay, however it looks, and some of these things that I've said, they sound a little weird to you, it's fine. I, I just want to encourage you to understand that worship is that gateway and so we worship first. So whatever we're going into in life, you're going into trial, worship first. You're going into temptation, worship first. You're going into praise or blessing. You just see great things on the horizon, worship first. Right? No matter what's going on in your life, make worship the first response. Pursue intimacy with Christ. Because as you pursue intimacy with Christ, you will notice that he is changing your character. And the Spirit of God is transforming you more and more into his glorious image. Okay, And that's what we want. We want to cooperate with God's work. The second thing that I would encourage you to do, if you're gonna, if you're gonna embrace the transforming work of God, is pursue His Lordship in every area of your life. Okay, pursue the Lordship of Jesus, that you would, you know, we, we talk about Jesus as Savior, and He is, without question, He is Savior. But this is where we talk about Jesus as Lord. That he's the one who is in authority, that, that we place our authority under His authority. And that the more we walk in intimacy with him, hearing from him and loving him and being loved by him, the more we are content to submit to his lordship. Now, I, I heard this, and it's from reliable sources. I believe it's true. I'm not going to do the follow-up research because it's a quote from a book that I've never read and don't want to read, and I don't want you to read either. Uh, it's the uh, the Satanic Bible. And... It's my understanding that the, the first commandment in the Satanic Bible is do what you will. Do what you want. In other words, be the Lord of your life. Now, obviously, that's not advice I'm giving anyone. Okay? In fact, what I, what I, I only bring it up to make a, a, a very clear demarcation. You see, Lordship of Christ is just the opposite. It's not do what you will, it's do what God wills. It's not do what you want, it's do what Jesus wants. It's not be the Lord, it's Christ is Lord. Does that make sense? And so when, when we pursue lordship, if, if you're ready to embrace the work that God is already involved with in your life, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to declare that He is Lord over every area of your life. What you're going to recognize is you don't want to bring Him dishonor. You don't want to do anything that, that would not glorify Him. You don't want to think thoughts that would, that would contradict who you know God to be. You don't want to pursue entertainment that you know would come against his glory. You don't want to be involved in practices that, that would diminish your intimacy with Christ. Does that make sense? But, but at the same time, the, the exact opposite is true. You do want to do things that 
that bring him honor. You, you do want your life activity to point to how good God is. You do want to think thoughts that glorify him and say words that honor him and, and have relationships that make him pleased and, and delight him. Why? Because you want him to be the Lord over every part of your life. And the more you cooperate with him, the more you realize that there, you know what, there's this area. And I don't talk about it much. I don't spend much time over here, but I recognize there's this area that's not under his lordship. And so I want to bring it over and I want to submit it to him and let him be Lord even here, even over my finances. I want him to be the Lord. You know what? I've got this residual racism I, I offer to Jesus. I want him to be the Lord there. You know what? I, I've still got these places that I go to for pleasure. And they, I, I know they're outside of his will. So I offer them up to Jesus. I want him to be the Lord there. Okay. And that's what lordship looks like. In fact, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 3, 6, In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Right? The very best life there is to offer, the straightest path, the greatest life, the most abundance there is, is when we submit to him and let him be Lord over all of our ways. In James chapter 4, verse 7, we read, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Right? He flees, the enemy flees, once we submit to God and declare that he's Lord over all of these areas of our lives. Now, this idea of submitting to God, it just means that you yield to him. That you just recognize, you know what, there's so much about me, this individualistic, independent self that is at war with God being the Lord. And so I constantly go, God, I know that the only reason you're asking me to submit to you is, is for my best and for your glory. And so I'm going to yield to you and I'm going to cooperate with you and I'm going I'm to submit to you. I'm going to come underneath your authority. Okay. Now, if we're going to do this over every area of our life, it's going to require some intentionality and it's going to require some intensity. So just think about that for a moment. It's going to require mental focus for you to, to make sure that not only are you declaring that he's the Lord over every area of your life, but then you're actually living in such a way that his lordship is, is a reality. And so it's going to require intentionality. It's going to require intensity. And there's a little bit of a problem with that because most of us, we, we think that that's, it's too, um, exhausting to live focused on being obedient to, to Jesus and being, um, you know, aware of his lordship. And, and that's a bummer that we think like that, but we do, we think like that. And so I just, I want to give you, um, an, an analogy. So just raise your hand if you are familiar with the tool that is standard in most cars that are manufactured today. It's the, it's the, um, the device on the um, on the steering wheel called cruise control. Raise your hand if you know what cruise control is. Okay. Raise your hand if you've ever used cruise control in your life. Yeah, of course. Of course. Like on a road trip, what you do is you hit the gas and you speed up to the to the speed that you want to be at, right? Which is you know whether it's a speed limit or the flow of traffic. That's between you and Jesus. Uh, but it's the uh, you know, it's, it's the level, the desired level that you want to go at, the pace, and then you set the cruise control, and after you set cruise control, 
you don't worry about your speed at all, right? Uh, the only time you think about your speed is then when you come up on a slower driver ahead of you and then uh, you have to worry about the cuss words that you just thought in your mind as you have to take this cruise control off and then reset and the whole bit. And So that's how many of us live our spiritual life. We, we hit the gas a little bit and we try to take care of some, you know, gross, like, oh, you know, okay, no murder. All right, I get that, right? And, and so you speed up past that and you, you kind of get to where you're going at the same pace as the people around you. Maybe the people at church sit around you or the people in your life group. You're kind of going at the same, the same pace of obedience as those in your spiritual circle. And then you set cruise control and then you don't think about it. You just coast, right? There's not a lot of intentionality about the Lordship of Christ. There's not a lot of intensity about the obedience that you want to bring to Christ. It's just, you're just cruising. Cruise control. And I say that knowing that I'm guilty of the same thing. By contrast, I want you to think for a moment about a race car driver. Think about the guys and the gals driving in the Indianapolis 500. Okay? Do you think that the cars in the Indy 500 are equipped with cruise control? No, No, okay. Um, Do you think that the drivers in the Indy 500 are interested in going only as fast as the flow of traffic? Right. Uh, You have to imagine that the people driving, the men and women who are driving those race cars, are driving with a level of mental Focus, almost like it's a, a ferocity, where they are, their foot's always on the accelerator. And, and they are working as hard as they know how with incredible intensity to get the very most out of their vehicle and out of themselves. Because what they want to do is they want to win the race. That's what they want. And I just wonder if we could shift the analogy of our spiritual lives so that we could be like those race car drivers in how we pursue intimacy with Christ and the lordship over every area of our lives. See, if we were, if we were so focused and we were so intense and we were so intentional about the lordship of Christ and, and we could see then the transformation more and more and more, the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And that's why it says, like in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, make every effort to be holy. And you hear that and you go, wait a second, uh, make every effort to be holy. I, I thought that it was all about the work that God's doing. And he's the one that does the heavy lifting. And he provides all the strength and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dependence is a reality. That, that, that we cannot grow our spiritual stature just by willing it on our own, right? I, I, it's more than motivation, Absolutely. But by the same token, we've got to be making every effort, right? We, we, we've got to be going after his lordship with intentionality and intensity. And these are the things that we can embrace in order to cooperate with his work. You see, it, it says this in Second Peter. It says, for this reason, make every effort. There it is again. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. 
make every effort to continue to build these things into your life. To continue to build these things into your spiritual formation. That you would, you would with intentionality invite the Lordship of Christ over these areas. That, that with intentionality you would obey Christ in your daily life. That, that with great intensity you would want to cooperate as much as you can. Yielding and submitting to the work of Christ in your life. Make every effort. It seems like it's contradictory to the idea that the Holy Spirit is doing all of the work, but I want you to understand they go hand in hand. So you have to just realize, on the one hand, what you're absolutely doing is depending passively on the work of Christ that He's doing in your life. And on the other hand, you are to make every effort actively embracing His transforming power within you. You see, it, it, these two things, and, and they both are happening at the same time. You might want to think about the two wings of an airplane. Just Let's just say it's spring break right now. Let's say you, you jump on a plane, you're heading to Hawaii. Six-hour flight, you're three hours over the ocean, uh, Pacific, I believe. And you are, you're flying over, that was a joke, sorry, uh, miss it. It's Pacific Ocean, you get, okay, never mind. Geography jokes don't work with Overlake, Okay. So you're flying over the ocean, the pilot comes on the loudspeaker, he says, listen guys, I, this is a really, really weird thing, but, but our plane's too heavy, and we've got we've to release one of the wings, just, just jettison it. So here's the deal, it's, it's a little bit of a bummer, um, sorry about that, but we get to choose which one you want to jettison. Do you want to jettison the right wing or the left wing? You guys take a vote, uh, a few minutes we'll, we'll collect the tallies and, and we'll lose the wing. And pandemonium erupts because everybody in the plane knows you can't get to Hawaii with one wing. Makes no difference, right? If you, if you jettison the left wing or the right wing, uh, you, you lose a wing, you're going to go down. In fact, it does make a little difference if, like, the way that you fall, right? If you jettison one, you'll go this way. The, uh, so it's a minor, minor point because everyone dies. But the, the, you just need to realize that you need both wings to get to Hawaii, you, you can't fly without two. Now, spiritually speaking, you got a wing called dependence upon grace. You got another wing called discipline. And in your spiritual life, you need both to fly. You need both. And that's how God made us, and that's what spiritual formation looks like. That's why we pursue intimacy, and that's why we yield to lordship. Why? Because we want to embrace what God is already doing so that we can fly. The Apostle Paul also uses an analogy of a farmer planting seeds, right? He says, um, I plant the seeds and Apollos waters the seeds, but it's God who makes the seeds grow. And most of us are not farmers, so this analogy doesn't land right in our wheelhouse. But you know it's true that, that there are certain things that a farmer has to do. He or she must accomplish certain tasks in order to have a healthy harvest. But you also realize that there are certain things, like absolutely dependent upon success things, that the farmer has no control over whatsoever. And so, just so that you can have a visual for this, what you see is what, what the farmer can and must do is plow and plant. Do we have this up? The farmer plows, he plants, she nourishes the soil, irrigates the soil, cultivates, harvests. The, it has to happen, right? 
This must happen in order for there to be a healthy harvest. But what the farmer cannot do is make the seeds grow. And without the life that makes all things grow, the disciplines of farming are absolutely useless. And so all I want you to understand is how they work together. Okay? Yes, God is at work, and so we depend upon His work. And, and yes, He invites us to participate with His work. And so there are certain things that we must make every effort to do. And they go hand in hand. And the last thing that I want you to see when it comes to this idea of embracing the transforming power of Christ is we need to embrace our refinement. Embrace our refinement. There's a song that, that we used to sing uh, in church. This is a couple, you know, decades ago. Refiner's fire, my heart's one desires to be holy. And, and it's, a, it's a song about how the refiner's fire it, it, uh, it would melt a, a metal. So it would melt a lead or it would melt a silver or melt a gold. And all of the impurities would rise to the top of that liquid metal. And then the refiner would scoop the impurities out of that metal. And then it would be purified. It would be refined. And that's the process that we're talking about. This process of spiritual formation. And so the challenge then is that we would embrace God's process of refinement. Many times we see the analogy used in Scripture. Um, in First Peter 1, seven, he talks about how gold is refined and purified and strengthened, and so is our faith. So is our faith. Okay? And we see this in uh, Zechariah 13.9. God says, I will refine them like silver... And test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people. And they will say the Lord is our God. And that's what we want to do. We want to embrace the refining work of Christ in us. And that we we would literally be excited about it when it happens. Because what the scripture says is God is the one who does the refining. And he wants to do it so that we will know without a shadow of a doubt that God is the one saying, they are my people, and we're the ones saying, this is our God. And so he'll look at some of us and he'll say, I love you exactly as you are. But you've been on that spiritual plateau for a long time now. And it's time to do some refining so that you can go to the next level. There's some of us that God is looking at today. He says, I love you exactly as you are right now. I, lo- I, I could not love you more. But there are some parasitic sins that you keep falling into. And they're dragging you down. They're hurting you. They're hurting your loved ones. We need to refine those sins out of your life. See, there are some of us that God is loving absolutely right now. And he is saying... I know exactly where you are. You've been praying for breakthrough for so long. And so now let's do some refining so that you can experience the breakthrough that you've been praying for. See, God loves us exactly as we are. We, We don't embrace any of this transformation so that we can get him to love us more. That's impossible. He loves us perfectly right now. But what we want to do is we want to embrace his work so that so that we can experience the power of his transformation more and more and more, so that we can see 
that we are reflecting His glory more and more and more, that His Spirit is working powerfully within us, transforming each of us into His glorious likeness. That's what we want to do. And the amount of freedom that's available as we walk this road, the amount of relief that's available as we walk this road. And that that sounds weird, I know. Some of you are like, relief. It's relief to be intentional about intimacy. It's relief to be intentional about lordship. It's relief to embrace refinement. That sounds like it's hard. That sounds like I'm willing to go through fire, and, and in a certain sense, it is. It's going through some refiner's fire. Let me tell you where the relief is. You think about speaking to someone you love. Let's just say a young girl in your life that you love dearly who struggles with an eating disorder. And you say to her, what would you feel if I could take away your struggle with food forever? They would say relief. You talk to somebody in your life who you love dearly who struggles with substance addiction. And you were to say to them, what would, what would you feel if I took away your addiction forever? You never wrestled again. How would you feel? They would say relief. What about the person in your life who struggles with their sexual desires? And, and they're just constantly afraid that their desires will, will flame up and, and take control of their life. And, and what, would you, what would you think they would feel if you could take that out of control feeling away from them forever? What would they feel? Relief. You see, the more we work with the Lord and embrace his work within us, the more relief you will feel as you experience his transforming power within you. The more peace you'll feel, the more joy you'll feel, the more at home you'll feel in your own skin because you're being made whole and holy by the power of God in your life. Okay, So here's what I want to do. I I, want to ask you to cooperate with God's work today. I want to ask you to yield to it, to submit to it today. I want, I want to ask you to, to take a couple of steps and, and that you would pursue intimacy, that you would embrace refinement, that you would, that you would yield to his lordship. And so we're going to do this with a simple prayer. And, and, and what I want you to do is bow your heads right now and let's, let's have everybody's eyes closed. And right now, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I want you to take um, just one of your hands. I want you to place it on your chest, place it on your heart. And with your hand on your heart, I want you to imagine that's God touching you right there. And I want you to pray. And you can just follow along with me. You can repeat these words quietly in a whisper. You can say them in your heart. Jesus, thank you for loving this heart. Thank you for dying on the cross to redeem this heart. Thank you for forgiving this heart. Thank you for giving me your power and for transforming this heart forever. And Jesus, now what I want to do is I want to offer you this heart. I want to pursue intimacy with you, Jesus. I want to yield to your lordship. And I want to embrace your refinement of this heart so that I can continue to be transformed more and more into your glorious likeness. I love you, Jesus. I love you. Thank you for loving me. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.